Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So today we have a very exciting guest, you know, a guest that has been on the investment side, has been on the founder side, now back on the investment side. So we're going to be able to really hear, you know, from both sides of the table, especially when it comes to early stage. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Gautam Gupta. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So your parents came from India, you know, immigrants, you know, I'm an immigrant too. So I know what that looks like. You know, I'm sure that for you, it was quite inspiring and, and, you know, I'm sure they had to work a lot, you know, just like all the ones, you know, of us that we come to this country. So I guess what was that experience, you know, growing up, give us a little of a walk through memory lane. I'm sure that you found a lot of inspiration from your parents too. So tell us, how was life growing up? Well, I did find a lot of inspiration from my parents. I, so my dad moved here first uh, in the early 70s. And, you know, I often think about just the the juxtaposition of our generation with his generation. Uh, when he came here, he told us that, you know, often he would have to skip meals uh, because, you know, they just didn't have enough money uh, to, to, you know, feed himself every day. Right. Um, and if, if I think about, you know, in our generation, we never had those struggles. Right. Um, and so uh, it's, it's definitely an inspiration for me. Um, you know, my childhood, I would say, was very much influenced by not just my parents, but also grandparents who are still in India or were still in India. Both my grandfathers uh, on my uh, dad's side and my mom's side uh, had been entrepreneurs um, and ran their own businesses in India. And so from a young age, I was always exposed to business. That was sort of the dining room uh, conversation. Uh, And so, you know, I kind of picked that up and I was always the kid with something to sell. I always had something that I was selling out of my backpack in the playground or, you know, uh, online in high school um, and, and was always really interested by business and, and startups and, and, and technology. And, and probably that's the, what got you to Babson. No, Babson, the university, you know, really known for entrepreneurship. Yeah, so I hadn't heard about Babson uh, until I was in high school, and a family friend told us about Babson. He had known that I was really interested in in business. I went there for a college visit and fell in love with the place, and so I decided to apply to Babson. Um, and I would say that that probably one, that one decision changed the course of my life more so than any other because. It was at Babson that I started getting involved in the entrepreneurship activities on campus. Uh, and through that, when I was a sophomore at Babson, I met the folks at General Catalyst, uh, and they offered me an internship. And so when I was a sophomore uh, in undergrad, I started interning for General Catalyst, uh, which was still a very young firm at the time. I mean, the firm uh, was maybe four years old, uh, I think, investing out of the third fund at that time. Uh, which, by the way, at the time, we thought it was a huge fund. It was a $300 million fund. I think uh, General Catalyst just announced that they're going to raise $5 billion for their next fund. So, you know, times have definitely changed. Um, but it was an incredible opportunity, and that shaped the rest of my career. And obviously, you joined them after graduating, and you were there for about eight years. But 
you were that kid selling. So what really sparked the interest, you know, on the investment side of things? Well, I always thought that I would be an investor for a couple years and then I would go back to starting a company or maybe join a portfolio company. You know, that that dream and vision that I had of of running a company. You know, a couple couple things kind of changed for me. One is I realized how much fun the job was uh, and being able to meet entrepreneurs and see them build companies was incredible fun. It was really inspiring. Uh, the team that I was working for at General Catalyst, if you think about kind of the founders of the firm, had all been entrepreneurs themselves. And so I felt like I could learn a lot from the business experiences that they had. Uh, and then lastly, you know, what I didn't realize about the investing world uh, when I first joined was how much of the uh, venture capital job is really a sales job. Um, and and I loved that aspect of it, of being in front of, you know, what I would call the customer as the founder uh, and convincing that that customer who has many options in the marketplace, why they should go with you. Um, and, and I really fed off of that, um, you know, the competitive dynamics of, of the industry and, and really enjoyed that part of the process as well. And when we're talking about like finding that customer or selling to that customer, I mean, there's this thing called pattern recognition when it comes to the investment side, to being a VC. And how do you go about finding that customer that you want to go and, and sell to? And at what point do you are, you're like, you know what, this, I, I really got to get, you know, to invest in this company. Yeah. I, you know, the funny thing is the longer that I've been an investor, I've, I've realized uh, how much you have to challenge your own assumptions and how much you have to keep reminding yourself, uh, or at least for myself, I have to keep reminding myself, I don't know anything. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the thing that I, I always try to remind myself is um, the past patterns or paradigms may not be uh, the, the applicable for the future, right? And so the next great uh, success story may actually look very different from the past. Um, uh, but, you know, we were, uh, in, in those early days of General Catalyst, uh, the, the firm didn't have much of a brand. Um, and so a lot of the conversation or how we were finding entrepreneurs was outbound. Uh, we were going out into the market, you know, cold calls, going to conferences, uh, reading a lot of just press and, and media, right? And trying to understand, oh, this company is, you know, someone in Atlanta is, you know, getting uh, talked about by the local uh, media and, you know, seems to be doing something really interesting that could apply globally. Uh, well, how do we get that person on the phone and, and hear their vision or hear their story? And so a lot of in those early days, it was a lot of outbound um, uh, sourcing um, and, and a lot of cold calling. Um, you know, the general catalyst model was sort of built after uh, a very prominent firm called Summit Partners, who had a similar outbound sourcing cold calling program. Um, so we kind of mirrored a lot of what what they had built, um, and and that's a, a big driver of how we were meeting companies in, in those early days without much of a brand. And I got to tell you, cold calling is quite humbling, you know, because you, I'm sure, you called to a lot of people, and they're like, "Who the hell are you?" So, uh, so how do you how do you navigate that, you know, so that you're able to really as you were saying, you know, you didn't have much of a brand. So, so yeah. what do you do to really gain that trust of, of, of that customer in this case? 
I mean, I think it it, it it comes down to you're always you're just trying to find common ground. You're trying to find commonalities between you and the customer um, and build rapport. Right. And so often the lead message that we would have a general catalyst was, hey, the firm has been built by operators and founders, not financiers. And that was, you know, very true of the early days of General Catalyst, right? All of the four founders of, of the firm had been very successful uh, operators themselves um, prior to starting General Catalyst um, and, you know, had taken companies public, had exited companies. And so that was the lead message, right, was, hey, we're different, right? And we're not like your other investors. Uh, we have, we've been operators and we can help. Um, and, and that built a lot of rapport uh, in a very short amount of time with, with uh, entrepreneurs that we were trying to get in contact with. So you were there for about eight years, uh, and uh, I'm sure those were very fulfilling years. But eventually you realized that it was your time to shift gears and to go to the other side of the table. So what was that moment like, and, and why did you think that was the right time to do so? <laughs> Well, looking back on it, I, I feel like I, I wish I could have told myself uh, maybe now, maybe that wasn't the right time uh, because it turns out that the tech industry just exploded from there. Uh, but, you know, I had, uh, there were a couple things that created a perfect storm for me. Um, I had a co-founder, uh, someone that I had known from Babson. Um, so I had known them for a long time. Uh, and he and I wanted to be in business together. And so we wanted to start something. The timing felt right for both of us at that point, um, where he was just coming out of a venture that he had sold. And I was, um, you know, I kind of uh, done my tour of duty at General Catalyst. And I was kind of at an inflection point of either I was going to stay and really commit to, um, you know, spending the next eight, 10 years of my career at the firm or do something else. Um, and and so from that standpoint, the timing made sense. The other piece was I had this personal passion around health food and nutrition. Uh, up until going off to Babson, I really struggled with obesity. Uh, but luckily, I learned about nutrition and I was able to lose 70 pounds in six months through diet and exercise. Um, and I had always wondered since that experience, I had always wondered why the food system in the United States is the way that it is. And why do people, um, why do we have an obesity problem in this country? And what can I do to try to help? And so I was always interested in trying to build a business around that space. Um, and so it just, you know, things just aligned where um, my co-founder and I were starting to talk about ideas we found an idea that I felt like I could be really passionate about and that was a good business. And so um, it just felt like it was the right time to, to make a leap. And how did you guys go about testing the idea as well? So we knew nothing about food. By, by the way, maybe just stepping back, the company uh, is called NatureBox uh, and the product is um, essentially our own brand of healthy snacks sold primarily online as we scaled the business, we started selling uh, products in retail stores and that sort of thing, but primarily online. We knew nothing about the food industry. And so when we were starting to think about this idea, um, we thought, well, we think this is a good idea, but does anyone else think this is a good idea? And so we went to a farmer's market 
We bought a bunch of snacks that we thought could be, uh, you know, they matched the vision that we had for NatureBox. Um, and we went back to the office, you know, slapped together a, a, a one page website, a landing page um, with a photoshopped picture of the stuff that we had bought at the farmer's market. And there was a buy now button. There was, you know, four bullet points of what the, you would get if you bought, bought the box. And there was a buy now button. And if you clicked that buy now button, you would be taken to PayPal where you could PayPal my co-founder Bunny, right? So it was a pretty uh, messy setup, but lo and behold, we started advertising uh, for this website. We got 100 people over the course of a weekend to actually PayPal us money for this product. Now, the only problem is this product did not exist, right? It was a Photoshopped image of stuff that we bought at a farmer's market. And so my co-founder and I looked at each other and we said, well, we have two options. We could either refund everyone's money and go figure out how to build this product, or we could force ourselves to figure out how to ship something to these people that had paid for the product. Um, so we said, listen, if we want to start the business, if we're serious about starting a business, we have to go with the second option. We have to ship them something. Uh, and we thought a little bit about it and we said, well, where do you get enough food to ship a hundred boxes of snacks. Um, and both growing up in suburbs, the first thought in our minds was go to Costco. So we went to Costco, we loaded up two shopping carts full of Kirkland branded snacks. Um, and we came back to my apartment and we started repackaging the Kirkland snacks into nature box bags. And that was the first shipment of boxes that we sent out it was literally product that you could buy at Kirkland or at Costco, um, you know, but but in these branded nature box bags that we bought off the internet. And then what was, you know, that moment to because I mean, obviously, you also went through some ups and downs with the business. What was that moment like, you know, where you feel like you're like running out of cash, you know, you're like with, you know, a, a one, one, one month left of payroll and, and things yeah. like that. I mean, how was that experience too for you guys? Yeah. So, you know, fast forward from those early days, um, we had this incredible growth spurt where we got the business from zero to 50 million of revenue in three years, but we were burning a lot of cash and the venture market had started to sour on direct to consumer brands. And so we weren't able to raise another round of funding. Um, and we got to a point in, I want to say this was 20, uh, maybe, yeah, beginning of 2018, um, where we literally had one payroll left in the bank. Our lender had put us in default because uh, we had some outstanding venture debt. And, um, you know, it was pretty clear that we weren't going to be able to pay the debt. Um, so we were operating the business uh, under defaults with one payroll left in the bank. And, and look, it was an incredible stressful time. I mean, incredibly stressful. Um, you know, I'd never managed through a situation like that. But I'll say a couple things that, you know, uh, I learned in that experience. One is ideas and people are way more durable than we give them credit for. And so, you know, I think we as a company, people just banded together, got what needed to be done, done. Um, and we were able to keep the business going. Um, and, and then I would say the second thing is it's never, you know, uh, there, there's always ways to, to, you know, figure out even the, the messiest of problems. And so 
it took us a little time, but we were able to find a new investor to come in and help us do a recap of the business uh, and help you know the business continue to survive. And so, incredibly stressful three month period of time, but but it ended up with with a decent outcome. Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that. You know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance you know that would carry me through the process whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition so that gap that i found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when i met my co-founder at pantera mike sieverson to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com, and we would love to take a look at helping you out. So what does it look like when you do the recap of a business for the people that are listening to get it? Yeah, unfortunately, recaps are very messy, uh, and they're, they're hard to get done and rare in the venture industry. Um, but essentially what you know happened for us was some of our initial investors decided, hey, we don't want to put more capital into the business, right? Um, we're, we sort of have reached our limit, um, but we're happy to essentially sell off our position um, or be diluted uh, if there's a new investor who wants to come in and recapitalize, you know, put new capital on the balance sheet. And so, you know, there's a lot of different ways that these things work. Um, for us, it essentially meant that a new investor came in, our existing investors had the opportunity to participate in the round if they wanted to, some did, some did not. And so for the ones that did not, their equity was diluted, right? They essentially chose to, to you know, not participate in the future of the company. Um, but we were able to put new capital on the balance sheet, you know, the new investors we're able to get a large piece of ownership in the company. Um, and then we're also able to, you know, have enough of um, an option pool and enough stock uh, to incentivize the management team to keep going. Um, and so, you know, very complicated uh, um, situation, but but I think everyone, you know, kind of came out with, with um, you know, the, the outcome that they had hoped for or, or that they had, had wanted would happen. So. At what point do you realize that, you know, it's time to get a CEO for this and to perhaps, you know, like uh, look at greener pastures? Yeah. So I think it, getting the question of when to bring in a CEO is incredibly tough. And, and I think it's a very personal question for, for every founder, right? For me, probably in 2017, 
I realized that I didn't want to be a CEO anymore. I, I sort of felt like um, I had learned a lot, but the stress of running the business just wasn't for me. I, I just didn't want to keep doing that. Um, and I also felt like, you know, there were a number of things that I wasn't great at. I wasn't great at management. Uh, I wasn't great, you know, I, I, learning, obviously, and getting better. But I wasn't great at managing people and, and you know, really delegating and being focused on kind of high-level strategy. I really more enjoyed being in the weeds and kind of uh, on the front lines. Um, and, and so in 2018, once we had had the recap, once the recap had been finalized, um, we were able to find a new CEO to take the business forward. Um, and, and that's when I decided to go back into venture investing. Um, and, and, you know, my thought process there was I had managed a business through some ups and downs, learned a lot in that process of being a CEO and felt that I could be a much more valuable capital partner to the next generation of founders. Essentially, I felt like I could be the VC that I wish I had had when I was running a company. Uh, and, and so that's what I've been doing for the last five years. And how much capital did the uh, company raise? We raised a total of about $70 million of debt and equity, some, something like that. Got it. And what ended up being the outcome of the, of the company? Because I know it went yeah. through an acquisition too. Yeah, exactly. So the company then was later sold, uh, I want to say two years ago, um, uh, to a, a larger uh, tech business um, called Hungry. Uh, and it's still the brand uh, exists today. You know, there's uh, actually still team members that were there uh, from, from, you know, back in 2018, when, when I was running a company still still there and, and moved uh, uh, along on the acquisition. So still cool. around, still operational. Amazing. And were the terms of the deal disclosed or no? It was not. Okay, got it. Now, in this case, you got the CEO, you know, you take a look at the, what's next for you and you realize, as you were saying, CEO, you know, was not your thing. So going back to venture investing, you know, which is what uh, you were excited about doing before, you know, taking the jump here. Uh, I'm sure that now with this background operational expertise, you know, you knew that you could be much more helpful to founders, you know, sitting on the other side because you knew exactly what they were going through. Now, in your case, what you did is you went to M13, you helped them with their operation. But then while you were doing that, you know, you you got approached by TCV and that's where you are now. Why TCV? So TCV, I've known uh, the folks at TCV for over a decade. Uh, I have a very close friend here uh, who's another one of the partners at TCV. Um, but interestingly, even uh, outside of that, I had pitched TCB when I was running NatureBox and um, had gotten to know the partnership uh, through that process of seeking capital from TCB. Uh, and in fact, in that process, uh, I had met a TCB venture partner uh, who ended up becoming my independent board director at NatureBox. So I really felt like I had a good appreciation for not just the quality of people at TCB, um, but probably most importantly, the way the firm has thought about company building. And uh, I really admired that, you know, approach and, and the fact that, you know, it wasn't just um, a, a focus on, you know, capital deployment as much as how you build great enduring companies and build, you know, seminal technology leaders. Uh, and so 
yeah, it was very exciting to, to, you know, kind of join up with a firm that I had a lot of respect for. I, I, I knew pretty well. Uh, and, uh, and so it, it was, uh, you know, bittersweet to, to leave M13, uh, but decided to join TCB about two years ago uh, and help them launch an early stage fund, uh, which we call our Velocity Fund. How, how big is the fund? Yeah, so we raised for the Velocity Fund, uh, which we closed in December 2021, we raised $460 million. Uh, and the strategy has been focused on Series A, B, and C stage companies. Um, we can lead or follow. Uh, and we invest in consumer, B2B2C, and enterprise. Um, and, you know, we're, we're about a year and a half in post closing the fund. Um, we've got eight portfolio companies today. Uh, so, you know, off to a good start, plenty of, of, uh, you know, we're open for business. So, um, we, we are very much actively looking for, for, uh, new investments, um, uh, but off to a good start. And obviously, you know, TCB has been around. So what is the approach and how, for example, uh, you go about perhaps, you know, like the different, the different team players, the different funds that you have, how does yeah. that work and how that ecosystem that you guys have built at TCB, how that can support founders? Absolutely. So TCB has two strategies. We have our early stage strategy called the Velocity Fund. Uh, and then we have our crossover strategy, which is what T TCB pioneered, um, which we internally call our growth fund. Uh, the growth fund is in its 11th fund. So uh, the most recent vehicle was um, TCB 11. Uh, and then Velocity is obviously on Velocity 1, which is the first fund in the Velocity strategy. Um, so that's how you get to kind of the 12 total. Um, but you know, what I would say, a couple things. One is given the breadth of TCB, we can invest from Series A all the way through public markets. Uh, so there's very few, with very few exceptions, right? Um, we can be a capital partner to many companies, uh, whether you're raising your Series A, you're raising a pre-IPO round, um, you know, or, or maybe something even a bit later. Um, so, so we have a huge amount of breadth uh, across the TCB platform, um, it's a relatively small team. Um, and so the velocity fund is six people. Um, just to give you perspective, the total firm, uh, all employees, um, is about 130. Um, and so, you know, we coordinate and collaborate, uh, uh all the time. And so, you know, for, uh, on the investment side, uh, we're in the same meetings across the two funds uh, and leveraging the insights and the network of the overall platform. Uh, and, and for companies, I think the reason why that's important is not only do you have a capital partner that can go the distance with you, but you have the reach of everyone in the firm, their personal networks, their experiences, um, all of the, you know, past portfolio companies that we've been involved in. And so, um, yeah, that's a, a little bit of, of, you know, how to kind of think about the, the breadth of the firm. And, you know, it's interesting when you talk about networks, because, you know, in your investment thesis, as you were, as you were saying, is series A, series B, but mostly, you know, like around those uh, cycles, when we're talking about series A, we're talking about that uh, validation, there's revenue, not significant, but, you know, there's revenue. Uh, and now it's all about figuring out how you go from 
early stage and transitioning to growth stage, which is, you know, a really tough cycle to, uh, to shift from. So how do you guys go about really adding that level of value or plugging in your network so that you're able to help the founder in crossing that incredible, you know, uh, a life cycle? So one, we, we have a few different ways that we uh, think about just um, helping companies scale. Uh, and, and obviously, there's a lot that's situational, right? So it depends on the company, the market that they're in, uh, the scale of the company today and their aspirations. Um, but I would say a, a, a few of the things that, that we've done and, and um, you, you know, we are, I think, pretty helpful around. So the first is around talent. Just given the network of companies that TCB has worked with in the past and the number of executives that are in our network, um, we think we can be really helpful at bringing the right people into a company to help a founder scale the business. And so whether you're looking for you know, a head of people, we actually have a venture partner at TCB who was the chief people officer of Netflix, um, you know, whether you're looking for um, whoever it may be, right? The, the next head of engineering to help you scale your, your engineering efforts or product efforts. Those are areas where we think we can be uniquely helpful. Um, the second is we've built this advisor and venture partner network. I had just mentioned one, one of them, but we've built this um, uh, advisor and venture partner network of industry leaders and executives who can be both informal and formal advisors and board members for companies. Uh, and so as you think about, you know, that series A or B stage company, how do you get the smartest people in a room around you who have taken companies public or who have scaled the business from zero to billions of dollars of revenue, billions of dollars of market cap? Um, we think we can also get those people in the room with you. So not just the full-time employees, right, and, and the executives that you want on your team, but also executives around you to be a sounding board for you and, and to help you think through uh, issues uh, and, and um, paths to, to scaling. Uh, so I would say those are two of the primary uh, ways that, that we try to help companies. Um, and, and, you know, obviously uh, through the network of the firm, um, whether it's, you know, you're looking for uh, M&A opportunity, you're you know, looking to buy a company, um, you're looking for help scaling internationally, like all of those are also areas where we've had experience and where we can help. Um, but it's obviously very situational, right? Like if you're in the US and you're looking to scale to Europe, you know, uh, it's an area where we can help. Um, but how we get involved there may be very different from a company that's in Asia looking to scale across the rest of Asia. So imagine I was to uh, give you the opportunity of going back in time mm -hmm. and I put you into a time machine. I put you into a time machine where it brings you back to the Babson days. You're a student at Babson. You really love the whole venture world and you give, you have yourself there the opportunity of giving that younger Gotham one piece of advice before launching a business. So question would be, what would that be and why? And then also you have the chance to give that younger Gautam one piece of advice before investing in your first company. What would those be, those two pieces of advice? Interestingly, they would probably be very similar, which is that it's all about the people and talent. So from an operating perspective, I think I would tell you know, the, the founder uh, chapter of, of my life 
that it's all about uh, the quality of people around you and the talent density in the company. And that to achieve a greater talent density in the, in the business, you'll likely need to make hard choices or hard decisions. Uh, and almost every time you're faced with a hard decision like that, the answer is actually more simple than you think. Uh, and, and so, you know, if you have just to contextualize this, if you have a, maybe not a great head of sales, if you have a head of sales and, and you're struggling with, Hey, uh, should I keep this person? Should I go find someone better? You know, whatever chances are by the time it it's, you know, on your, your mind, right. That you might need to make a change that it's already, you know, the, the time to make that change. I'm not saying that it's too late. Often it is too late or it's, it's you know, uh, beyond the point that you should have made a change. But by the time you're thinking about it, it's almost always, uh, in my experience, the case that, um, you know, you, you have to make a change, but you're delaying the inevitable and, and, you know, procrastinating that. Similarly, with investing, it comes down to investing in great founders. I mean, obviously, uh, there's a lot that we want to understand as investors about the business, the market, the unit economics, all of those things. At the end of the day, especially in early stage investing, those data points are slices in time, right? And you may talk to a business where maybe some of those data points don't look good today, but they might look better tomorrow, right? What doesn't change or maybe said a different way, what will catalyze the change of the business getting better and healthier over time are, are the founders, right? And, and the team. And so if you don't have the right team in place, even if the metrics are great today, they might not be tomorrow. Conversely, if the metrics aren't good today, they might be getting better because of the quality of the team, right? Um, and so it all comes down to the quality of the people and, and really just keeping a very high bar on that. I agree 100%. Now, for the people that are listening that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? Uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, on Twitter, it's G Ramblings, um, and, and then, you know, uh, on, on LinkedIn. Amazing. Well, hey, Gautam, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.